Our passage this morning is from Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Father, we are still basking in um, our Easter celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Father, I thank you for what a glorious day it was. Father, I thank you, uh, though that you did not leave us here on earth to fend for ourselves, but you sent your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, to be our helper. I ask now that you would fill David with your Holy Spirit that his words would be with um, power and with deep conviction, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might come out of this room, walk away different and bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Thanks, Sally. Gospel conversations. How many of y'all hear those words and immediately begin to cringe? How many of y'all hear those words and you are filled with terror and anxiety? Questions? You're nervous about what we're about to ask you to do? You don't want to offend anybody? You don't want to stand on a street corner handing out tracts with a bullhorn. Well, I've got good news and bad news for you. The bad news is we are about to spend five weeks talking about gospel conversations. The good news is we are about to spend five weeks talking about gospel conversations, which means we get over a month to lean in to all of those questions and concerns, those, those sources of anxiety, the doubts, the misgivings, all of it. We're going to spend some time doing a deep dive into what it looks like to have an ongoing conversation, like Jason said, with, with God, with other believers with people yet to believe, and with ourselves. Now, Jason Dukes, my good friend, um, I, I've spent a lot of time with him over the last few weeks kind of developing some resources around this series. And we're going to do a couple of different things. Um, first of all, this Wednesday at First Wednesday, during the Coffee House Conversations, Jason Dukes is going to be here with us. He's going to talk to us about what it looks like to, to recognize God's story in our life, to be able to tell our, our story, to, to translate that and communicate that authentically, transparently. He's going to be open to all of your questions all of your concerns, this Wednesday at 645 in the room right behind this sanctuary. If you are that person that is immediately concerned when we say these words, be here on Wednesday night. Secondly, and here's, here's the really new stuff, and this is where I start to feel like Ryan Seacrest in American Idol. All right, you guys pull out your phones, 
Right now, I know every single week I tell you to put your phones up. One time only. This is your one time you get a chance to look at your phone in the service. If you text the word gospel to the number that should be right there, 615-570-3506. This is what's going to happen. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to hand your number out. We're not going to use it for any nefarious purposes. But over the next five weeks during this sermon series alone, on Sunday afternoon, you're going to receive a link to a blog post that expands on a topic we've talked about in the sermon that morning. On Tuesday, you're going to receive a link to a podcast that highlights some of the things throughout this sermon series. Spoiler alert, this week it's me and Jason Duke, so you get to hear the dulcet tones of your pastor one more time during the week. I know you guys are all very excited about that. And then on Thursday, we're going to send you a link to a short video that will explain and highlight some of the things that go along with this sermon series. We are going to do everything we can to equip you with all of the resources necessary to where you truly understand what it looks like to have authentic, transparent gospel conversations in your everyday life. We have just gotten done with three solid months in the gospel of Mark. As we walk through the gospel of Mark, looking at the life and ministry and divinity and humanity and power and authority of Jesus Christ all leading to the crucifixion and then last week we got to celebrate that thing we should celebrate every single day the empty tomb the resurrection of Jesus the best news is the story of Jesus doesn't stop there now Luke one of the other writers of one of the other gospels um, he, he wanted to make sure that he continued to tell the story. So he has, he writes this masterwork to a man named Theophilus. He writes it in two parts. Part one is the Gospel of Luke. Again, just like the Gospel of Mark, following along the life and ministry, the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus says. That Gospel of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus, the ascension of the resurrected Jesus to his rightful place in heaven at the right hand of God. The second part of Luke's masterwork is known as Acts. The complete title is the Acts of the Apostles. That begins in Acts chapter 1 with the ascension of Jesus. That, that glorious homecoming of Jesus is the hinge between the two. Now, the book of Acts is the narrative of the growth and spread of the early church and the good news and the way the good news actually changed the course of human history. And that can't be overstated. That's real. That happened. Jesus was a nobody guy from a nobody town in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, doing things that we celebrate today, but were largely unknown during his time. And yet, after his ascension, as we begin in the book of Acts, we see this ragtag group 
of men and women, and they take that good news. And here we are in 2019. And the global calendar is actually measured by the birth of that man, Jesus. His name remains, 2,000 years later, the most famous name on the planet. Revered and worshipped by many, the name used as a curse by others, but spoken all around the world with weight and meaning. That good news literally changing the course of human history. How does that happen? How does a handful of uneducated, regular folks from tiny towns in the Middle East change human history? Not only before the internet, but before the printing press. Not only before plane travel, before cars, before trains, before ease of travel at all. And yet, within a couple of centuries, the whole world had been changed. The Roman Empire itself adopted Christianity. Well, how does it start? It starts in Acts chapter 1 with a misguided question. Sally read for us Acts 1, verse 8. But let's back up just a couple of verses to verse 6. Here we have Jesus. He, he has called his followers together. It's 40 days after the resurrection. And for 40 days, Jesus has been making appearances to men, to women in various locations, in various contexts, physically appearing giving proof of the resurrection. And here we are 40 days later, just outside the gates of Jerusalem. And in verse 6, we see his followers ask him. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? How does it start? It starts by a question revealing once again that these guys had no idea what was going on. You see, what they were thinking was, they were thinking, all right, Jesus, we're, we're now pretty comfortable with you as a resurrected Savior. You know, 40 days ago at the beginning, we were, we were nervous, we were confused, we were locked up in this tiny room, we didn't really understand what was going on. Many of them didn't even believe he had been resurrected until they could physically touch him. But now five weeks later, they're pretty comfortable with, going, with what's going on. So like, okay, Jesus... It's time, right? Like now's the time that you're going to reestablish the physical kingdom of Israel here, the physical kingdom of God. You see, they were thinking back to the time that, that Israel was an independent nation and they were anticipating the time that it would once, a bit, once again be regional and global power. And they were looking at the resurrected Jesus and his potential political power. Still, even in these moments, they were thinking about earthly things and earthly power. Jesus gives them a not-so-gentle rebuke 
in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Here we have his closest followers, 40 days after the resurrection, still looking for Jesus to establish a political kingdom and political power. And Jesus says, guys, that's got nothing to do with you. Don't worry about it. Bottom line is it's none of your business. But then he goes on to say, stop thinking about physical earthly power. But you are actually going to receive power. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He says, quit worrying about political power, quit worrying about an earthly kingdom, and then he gives them two statements of fact. You will receive power by the very Spirit of God dwelling inside you, and you will be my witnesses. They were looking for a different kind of power, and he says, you're going to get power, but it's the power of the living Spirit. This isn't the first time. That Jesus has talked to these guys about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, 43, 44, 45 days before this very moment, Jesus was in that room preparing that last Passover meal. And we see in the Gospel of John, chapters 15 and 16, much more detail about what went on in that room just hours before he was going to be betrayed and arrested and tortured and murdered. And in that room, once again, Jesus tells him exactly what's going to happen. He tells him the events that are about to unfold. He says, guys, I'm going away. But... That's actually a good thing for y'all. Because when I go, the Holy Spirit comes. The Counselor, the Spirit of Truth. When I leave, He comes and He will be with you always. You will have the actual Spirit of God dwelling inside you. Now, the New Testament unpacks that in many different places. Maybe most clearly in the first chapter of Ephesians, verse 13, where Paul, in in speaking of Christ, says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. When you hear the truth and when you believe, when you recognize Jesus Christ as your Messiah, Lord, and Savior, at that moment, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside you. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Statement of fact, number one. Number two, you will be my witnesses now look with me what jesus says and also think about what he doesn't as my followers 
You will receive the very spirit of God, the power of that spirit. In the power of that spirit, you will be my witnesses. What doesn't he say? You should be my witnesses. If you so choose, you will be my witnesses. When you feel like it, you will be my witnesses. When you're in a good place spiritually, you will be my witnesses. When somebody finally asks that question that you've been waiting on for years, hey, I've never heard you cuss, and I also don't want to cuss. How do you do that? Jesus. When that finally happens, which, by the way, guys, it never will. But when it does, you will be my witnesses. That is not what Jesus says. He doesn't say you'll be my witnesses after you go to seminary. You'll be my witnesses when you go into full-time ministry. You'll be my witnesses when you have it all figured out. He says, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Guys, Acts 1-8 is often taught as some sort of commission or encouragement or command. It is none of those things. You are not commanded to be a witness. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a witness to the resurrected Savior. Let me say that again. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a witness to the resurrected Savior. And that word witness means exactly what you think it means. Just like in a courtroom, if a witness gets on stand and gives a testimony, they are only allowed to speak about what they themselves have seen, what they themselves have heard, what they themselves have experienced. You can't stand up and say, this person told me. It will immediately be shut down because that's what we call hearsay. If you are a witness in a court of law, you can only speak about your firsthand experiences. As a follower of Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have firsthand experience. You know firsthand that the tomb is empty. You know firsthand Jesus as Messiah and Savior and Lord. As a follower of Jesus, you are a witness to the resurrection. Jesus goes on to say, But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you, like me, grew up in the pews of a conservative southern church, there's a decent chance you have heard this verse preached a thousand times. There's a decent chance you have heard this verse, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth 
preached as these concentric circles. Start where you're planted. Friends and family. Jerusalem. And then Judea. Go out from there. And then Samaria a little further out. And finally to the ends of the earth. If you have been taught that, let me tell you that sociology, culture, and maps themselves question the accuracy of that teaching. Let's start with the fact that the men and women that Jesus was speaking to at this moment, none of them were actually from Jerusalem. The idea that Jerusalem signifies your home, your friends, and your family is factually inaccurate. Every single person that Jesus was speaking to in Acts chapter 1 was from Galilee. And Galilee was a long way from Jerusalem. Not just geographically, but culturally. Now, it was not the first time that they had been in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, we have recently seen Jesus' disciples in Jerusalem. Five weeks prior to this, Passover week, the disciples enter into the gates of Jerusalem. The crowds chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory be to the one that comes in the name of the Lord. We know the story of that week in Jerusalem and we know how it ends. The disciples were there when Jesus was betrayed. They were there when he was arrested. They saw the false accusations at trial. They saw him being tortured. And what did they do? They ran. They deserted him. They turned their back on him. They denied him with their actions and some of them even with their words. You see, Jerusalem was not their home. It was not their friends, and it was not their family. What it was, was the place of their most recent, their most public, and their most spectacular failure. Jerusalem was the place they had a chance to make a stand. And every one of them chickened out. Every one of them deserted the man who was willing to die for them. And now he says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And good news, guys, you get to go back and be a witness to this in that place you failed most spectacularly. In that place you saved yourself instead of standing up for the truth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in all of Judea. Judea was the political region that surrounded Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital. Now again, these guys are from Galilee. And Judea would have been wildly unfamiliar to them. They definitely would have been outsiders, certainly culturally. And everyone would have known it. 
Professor R.T. France writes, even an impeccably Jewish Galilean in first century Judea was not among his own people. He was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. And all the communal prejudice of the supposedly superior culture of the capital region would stand against his claim to be heard. You will be my witnesses in those places you have been dismissed. You will be my witnesses in those places where they think of you as some backwoods hick. You will be my witnesses in those places where they make fun of the fact that you don't have all the answers, that you don't have the education. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of the capital region of Judea, and in Samaria. Where have we heard of Samaria before? Where have we heard of Samaritans? That's right, Matthew chapter 10, Good Samaritan. Now, we remember from that story of the Good Samaritan, it wasn't the Pharisee. It wasn't the rabbi. It wasn't the good, highly educated, godly Jews that stopped to save the bleeding, dying man on the side of the road. It was the Samaritan. And the impact of that story, as we remember, is the Samaritan was opposed to the Jews. He was separate from the Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans had centuries of of mistrust, of animosity. They were culturally and ethnically different. Religious enemies. The Jews had been taught in many ways to hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans were unclean. You will be my witnesses. To those people you have been taught to distrust, to hate. To those people you have always believed that you are better than, more worthy than. To those people that may even hate you. In those places, you will be a witness to the resurrected Savior. Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I got bad news. That last one means exactly what you think it means. Now, we live in a growing, dynamic, increasingly diverse city. As such, there are opportunities, and we have many connections and partnerships and, and places that we can reach the globe right at our doorstep. You can reach the ends of the earth in many ways right here in Middle Tennessee. All of that is true. All of that is to be celebrated. None of that replaces the fact that there are people in this room right now that are called to be a witness to the risen Savior beyond all boundaries and all borders. 
It's exactly what we see throughout the story of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's, it's because of Acts 1.8, because of these disciples carrying with them the power of the Holy Spirit. Literally, we are sitting in this room today. Each and every one of us can trace our faith journey, the heritage of our faith, back to this verse, back to these men and women. We see in Acts chapter 1, these final words in red, the last words of Jesus Christ to his followers. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then these disciples gathered around him, see him ascend into heaven, glorious homecoming to his rightful place. And they're just staring up into the clouds as you and I probably would be as well. I love the picture that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus has just ascended. The disciples' mouths agape, staring into the heavens, have no idea what to do. And suddenly there are two angels. And they say, why are you still looking up? You heard the man. It's go time. From that moment, the gospel spreads throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Immediately following the ascension of Jesus, we see the disciples. Just a few days later, they're back in Jerusalem. It's a time known as Pentecost, a huge festival. Jews coming from all over, filtering in to the city, filtering into that place that the disciples had their most spectacular, their most public failure. And this time in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter and the rest of the disciples stand up in front of this crowd. Look with me, starting in Acts 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter goes on, Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. 
For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And how does it start? It starts with the story of God. Guys, this morning, make no mistake. If you are a Christ follower, you are a witness to the resurrected Jesus. You are a witness to the empty tomb. People are watching. You may not have all the answers. You may not even know exactly where you are on your faith journey right now. You may think, but, but David, I, I, I can't quite figure it out. I'm trying to get there. I know that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, but there are some things that confuse me. It's okay. It's okay. Know this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully man, fully divine, came here to take on your sin, took that sin to the cross, paying the penalty, paying the penalty now and forever. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Gospel conversations begin with understanding the story of what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for you. If you've got questions about that story, come find me after the service. Find any of us. Let us talk to you about that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I have the amazing privilege to carry many different roles. I'm privileged to be able to walk the role of a husband, the role of a father, the role of a pastor. But more than any of those, I'm grateful for the honor of the role of a witness to an empty tomb. We are grateful for that cross. We are grateful that it didn't end there. In Acts 1.8, you tell us, we will be your witnesses. May it be so. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.